following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Today's broadcast is pre-recorded. Do you know what makes God angry? Almighty God, as I share this message with your people, would you quicken us by your spirit? Would you come and walk among us? Thank you, Jesus. You know what makes me really mad? Spitting mad. What makes me really mad is when I see another person being mistreated. When I see a person misjudged. When I see a person being discriminated against for any reason. Makes me mad. It really makes me mad when someone says they'll do something and then they don't do it. Makes me angry. Somebody says, Pastor, I'll do that. And then as soon as they walk away, they forget all about their commitment. Makes me mad. A person says, Pastor, I'll be there Sunday, and then they don't show. I get mad. I don't like that. You know something else that really makes me mad? When somebody plays victim and they refuse to take responsibility for their sin and I confront them with their sin and they say, it was my wife or it was my job or it was this or that. Makes me mad. Now, you may not see that I'm mad, but I'm steaming. And you know how I usually show that I'm steaming? I just leave. Jan and I refer to it as putting people in the icebox. No phone calls. Just put them in the icebox, let them chill. That may have happened to you. Now, I share all of that with you because I think you need to ask the question, what makes you mad? What makes you steaming angry? What just bites you? And you do everything you can to keep from losing it. Oh, I thought sin was... 
I thought anger was a sin. Now the word says, be angry and sin not. Be angry and sin not. It's important to know when to be mad and when not to be mad. If everything is just unconditional love, everything is a lie. There's no security in someone who is a sponge. There's security when somebody has some backbone and they're willing to stand for something. I don't have much respect for Eli. He had no backbone. All he could do was get fatter by the day and sit on his chair waiting for his next order of filet mignon while his boys were out hanky-panking with the church. I mean, you've heard of things like this. No backbone, no, no thus saith the Lord, no stop what you're doing. Eli got mad at the wrong people. He got mad at the people who really prayed. He got mad at Hannah for disturbing his peaceful rest with her cries before God. Oh, that the church today could be filled with cries to God, that our solemn assemblies could be disturbed by the presence of men and women crying out for their sin. Oh, what a gift that would be if we could have our orderly services disturbed. Instead of everybody sitting like crows on a line, waiting for their mouths to be filled. I mean, that's not the church. That makes me mad too. Crows. And then flap off and make noise everywhere. But what makes me mad and what makes you mad really doesn't matter very much, but there is something that really does matter. What makes God mad? What makes Jesus mad? Well, when, when God came to Moses and asked him to please go and rescue his people from the Egyptians, Moses had lots of excuses. Oh, I can't do that. I... I don't know how to talk very well. Of course, Stephen said he was a man powerful of speech. But Moses said, I don't know how to talk, God. Don't send me. I'm, I'm, just, a shy, I'm just a shy little shepherd boy. And the Lord was very patient with him and said, don't worry about that. I'll send Aaron and Aaron will be your mouthpiece. He knows how to talk real well. He's the family talker. Moses had another excuse. And finally it got right down to the bare bone issue, which was he didn't want to do it. He liked his shepherd life, and he didn't want to go back to the city and put up with the traffic. Well, I sympathize with him. I'm tired of traffic too. 
The scriptures say God got angry with Moses, burned with anger, because he didn't want to do what God asked him to do. Remember Balaam? Yes, I do. Oh, Balaam. Don't go curse those people. Those people are blessed. Balaam goes over to the representatives from Mo- I can't go and say anything that God doesn't tell me. Okay, if you pay me more, I'll go talk to God again and see if he'll let me go. He knew he was not supposed to be going. Until finally God said, okay, go ahead and go. You can almost see him brushing him off. You know, I don't like to be lightly esteemed by God. Any of you ever feel like you get the brush off from God? Okay, you want to do that? Go ahead and go. And then God sets a trap for him and he's ready to kill him as he's on the way. The donkey collapses under him. The donkey turns aside and finally God gives the donkey a voice because it's very apparent that God cares more for the donkey than he does for Balaam. Now that's something when God prefers the company of a donkey to a son of Adam. That in itself is a sermon that preaches. I want to share a story with you where God really got mad. Numbers, the 12th chapter. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Now, this was probably not Zipporah. Zipporah was not a Cushite. She was not from Ethiopia. She was an Arab woman. And evidently, Zipporah had died. And apparently, Moses had just chosen a Cushite woman that had come out of Egypt with them and had married her. But that wasn't all. There was a context to this difficulty that was being set up. You find it in the in the 11th chapter. The people are complaining about their hardships in the hearing of God. And when he heard their complaining, he got mad. God got mad. Now please understand tonight, we've heard all about the love of God all of our lives. That's all we've heard. God loves you. God loves us enough to get mad. If someone's not willing to get mad, they don't love very well. Getting mad says, I care. I care so much. I'm willing to get involved with you, and I'm willing to stop you. Now, that's love. There's no question in my daughter's hearts that their daddy loves them. You know how they know their daddy loves them? He stood in front of them and said, stop, you can't go there anymore. 
because I didn't try to raise happy daughters. I chose instead to raise holy daughters who would be happy when they were holy. And by the way, I'm still doing that to them. Only now I have to stand in front of my son-in-law too and say, don't go there and don't do that. It's wrong. It's sin. And now they get a chance to be upset. That's all right. They know dad loves them. Because I stand for something. We know God loves us because he stands for something. He stands for righteousness and holiness. He's not permissive. He's not like Eli. You understand, with Eli, he closed his whole church down. He said, this church is closed. And he shut the whole deal down. And for years, the Ark of the Presence was not in the tent of dwelling. Now you watch as we go along. You're going to see something terrifying, at least to my heart, that when God gets mad, he usually shows his anger by leaving. And God's presence is always driven away by our sin. God doesn't leave us unless there is sin. When there is sin, God leaves. And when we're left alone, we die. Now, many of us in America have become so accustomed to the absence of God that we think we have to take care of ourselves. And we're dying. And we have to get back into the presence of God or we will all perish. So the people are complaining about their hardships in chapter 11, verse 1 of Numbers. The Lord grows angry, and fire from the Lord goes out and burns among them and consumes some of the outskirts of the camp. The people cry out to Moses, and he prays to the Lord, and the fire dies down. And that's when the rabble kicked in. Now, please, make sure you're not part of the rabble at the National Prayer Chapel. You understand who the rabble are? The rabble are Egyptians that said they wanted to follow the Lord, but they never stepped across the line. So when the going gets tough, they start to complain And they prime the pump for rebellion in the house of God. It has always been thus in the church. Always the half-converted are those who begin to speak against, who begin to gossip. It's the rabble. If you're a rabble tonight, if you're an Egyptian who has never been willing to come out of the world and sell out, you're rabble. You don't have to stay that way, though. You can become one of the children of God by confessing Jesus and being crucified with him by having your heart circumcised. 
the rabble began to crave other food. And the Israelites begin to wail. Every man in his tent, they're all crying out. They want onions, they want leeks, they want melons, they want garlic. They don't want this food of heaven. They're sick of this manna. Do you like s'mores? You, you know what s'mores are? Graham crackers. And... Manna tasted something like s'mores. That's what it tasted like. That's what the scriptures say. The Lord became exceedingly angry. And Moses begins to have this discussion with God. Verse 11, he asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you? You put the burden of all these people on me. Oh, I sympathize with Moses. Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant? I can't carry all these people by myself. And God said, okay, Moses, calm down. You, know, you can see him patting him on the head saying, they're there. Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who've been known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting. This is verse 16. That they may stand there with you. Oh, God is going to give Moses some men who will stand with him. I'll come down and speak with you there, and I'll take the spirit that's on you and put the spirit on them. And they'll help you carry the burden of the people so that you won't have to carry it alone. And then the Lord brings them chicken. floods it into the camp. Well, all of this was going on, and Miriam and Aaron feel like their authority has been diluted. That suddenly they're being marginalized. That they somehow are not as important as they were before, because now... These 70 men are all prophesying and speaking in tongues, and the Spirit of God has come on them. Now, how would you all feel tonight on this side if suddenly tonight everybody on this side was filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in tongues, and could lay hands and heal, and you all were sitting here dumb? Would you begin to say in your heart, hey, what am I doing here? Where, why isn't... What about me? Aren't I important too? Where's my share? That's why I love Brother Seymour. You remember the story. At Azuzu Street, they're crying out for the Holy Spirit, and this dear brother, blind in one eye, this dear brother is not filled with the Spirit of God when everybody else is. You know what his response was? He humbly prayed for those others that they'd be filled more with the Spirit of God. You know where he spent his time? He'd get up here and he'd put his head under a crate that was being used as the pulpit. 
That's like me crawling under this table and laying on the floor and praying for you all. He wasn't filled with the Spirit, so all he could do is cry out to the Lord for his people to be filled. God was in that man. Well, Miriam and Aaron, they begin to talk against Moses. And they use as the excuse this new wife. You understand part of the issue here? It's a racial issue. He married a woman of color. And thank you very much, Miriam didn't like it. He didn't like adding this woman of color to their family. God loved it. God's approval was on it. But Miriam, she was standing right up and saying, you know, who's Moses think he is? God talks to me too. Aren't I the leader of the praise and worship for this whole assembly? I mean, talk about a megachurch. I mean, this is a megachurch of over a million people. And she's the leader of the praise and worship. I mean, she's the one with the tambourine who goes out leading all the church. And she's speaking against her brother and his wife. I want you to see something. Verse 2, has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they ask? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Did you know that God, that Jesus, is not a divine principle? Jesus is not a principle. He's a person. We were made in his image. He hears us. Everything you've said today, he heard. Everything you did today, he saw. He cares about what you've said and he cares about what you've done. And he's prepared to respond to it. That's why this sermon needs to be, don't make God mad. Don't make God angry by what he hears you say. I've had the strangest sense for the last two days. I've never experienced this before. I hear in the Spirit Jesus walking toward me. I don't know how to describe this. The closest I can come is what happened with Abraham as he was sitting in his tent or at the outside of his tent and he looked up and he saw three strangers 
coming toward him, except they weren't strangers to Abraham. He immediately recognized it was the Lord coming, and he ran and fell down at their feet. He knew it was the Lord. Now, if the glory of the old covenant would have the Lord coming that way, do you think in the glory of the new covenant, the Lord will not come to us? He heard what they said. Now there is a parenthetical addition. It was inserted because Moses wouldn't write this about himself. It says, now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. In other words, Moses heard what was going on and he did not retaliate against his brother and against his sister. He didn't fight with them over what they were saying. He didn't confront them and take them on and say, you can't talk about me this way. But the Lord heard. And the Lord was upset. At once, the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. Oh, does that sound like my dad? when you are summoned before those who have the authority. So the three of them came out. The Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and he summoned Aaron and Miriam. You can hear him now. Aaron, Miriam, three steps forward. Oh, you know they're in trouble. What are they in trouble for and what is God mad about? Gossiping. Gossiping. That's what God's mad about. Gossip makes God mad. And I've been hearing a great deal of gossip in the National Prayer Chapel these days. And God is angry. He's been hearing it too. Oh, did you know? Have you heard? We've had times of confession of sin here. Oh, isn't it interesting, after a confession of sin, when someone picks that up with an elephant memory, and throws it later as a dagger. That's happened in this church. It's sin before God. God's mad. Someone even had the nerve to say to me, Pastor, I remember you said you, that God told you you were too big for God to come and heal your wife. And they said to me, I agree, I think you're too big too. Have you ever heard of sheep bites? That's when God's people say things to each other. Very self-righteous manner. And it hurts. But you know why they do it? They do it because 
They feel insecure. And they don't think they have a place. And they think if they share information about somebody else, that person will think they're important. And they can be somebody. And God hears it, and he gets mad. And he departs. He leaves. He summons the three of them. Then he says, Aaron and Miriam, three steps forward, or however many. When both of them stepped forward, verse 6, he said, Listen to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I've revealed myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all of my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? But in the Hebrew, it's not constructed this way. In the Hebrew, it literally says, Why were you not afraid to speak against my servant my servant Moses. So he's really saying, why were you not afraid to speak against one of my children? Why would you speak evil about one of my children? And in this case, he identifies him, and specifically my servant Moses. Why would you do that? How dare you do that, he's saying. Did you ever have your dad or your mom say to you, how could you dare to do that? Don't you understand what you've done? Do you know the price for doing that? Oh. Never forget the night my brothers and I ran off to the carnival. And when my dad finally caught up to us with the razor strap, he said, how could you dare do that? He was so utterly incensed that we would so insult him by walking in such a rebellious manner against him. He was just out of himself. And we were too. My dad let it be known very clearly that there was a penalty and a price for violating the family's code of honor. There is a price for violating the code of honor in the church by speaking ill against a brother or a sister. If someone comes to you and begins to speak about another one, you need to say to them, Wait, hold just a minute. Is this gossip? If it is, I don't want to talk about it. Are we here to build this one up or are we here to tear them down? Oh, we spread our poison so easily. I want you to see verse 9. The anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. He left them before they could make any excuses, before they could offer any reason for their behavior, before they could justify their actions. He simply left. The God of heaven does not need any 
explanation for why we've walked in such wickedness before him. He already knows why we've done it. And he just leaves. I can't think of anything more frightening to me in all of the scripture than to have God leave me. To have him depart from me. Jan and I were this morning in the prayer closet interceding, crying out to the Lord. And my telephone suddenly began to ring. It was like a demon from hell calling. I quickly turned it off and began to repent for fear the Lord would leave. And I said, Lord, forgive me for bringing a cell phone into your holy of holies where I could be interrupted from my communion with you. I can't think of anything more terrifying than God leaving me. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to say anything. I don't want to put myself in a position with him where I would risk his being angry with me, where he would turn and walk away now. Because we get mad one with another. Or because we feel like we don't have a place that we have to talk about somebody. It's time to get things clean before God. We can't afford to have God walking away from us. We need God walking in our door bringing revival power for this city of Washington, D.C. The anger of the Lord burned against them. And he left them. The cloud lifted from above the tent. And there stood Miriam, leprous like snow. That's what happens when God leaves us. The leprosy of sin begins to just eat our lives away. Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had leprosy. Now you understand, Aaron is a high priest. He's the one who has to judge all cases of leprosy. He's the one who has to speak the word that condemns them to leave the camp and be utterly separated from God's people. And now it's his sister who has the leprosy. And he has to judge her. And he says to Moses, please my Lord, or please my master. This is elder brother speaking to younger brother now. This is a humble heart. But you understand that Aaron has a basic problem. He has a rubber nose. He has no backbone. They want to build an an idol, a golden calf. Give me your jewelry, guys. Now, in front of the golden calf, let's set up an altar and let's pretend that we're worshiping God tomorrow. So all the people come and they offer their offerings before the living God of heaven. And then it says they rose up and played, began to engage in pagan revelry for the God that was behind the altar of burnt offering. And now Aaron, 
He could have said to his sister, stop, I don't want to listen to that. We can't talk about Moses that way. He's anointed of God. Instead, he says, oh, you know, you're really right. I wish Moses were more understanding. I wish he wouldn't pig all the glory for himself. He, he needs to recognize, you know, I'm the, I'm the voice piece. I need to have a place here too. Who's Moses think he is? Aaron went right along with Miriam. Now, God didn't punish Aaron this time. But sometime after this, Moses loses it, and he speaks rashly against the people of God, and he strikes the rock to bring forth water and does not show God holy. And for that, he and Aaron are both blocked from entering into the promised land. Where was Aaron saying, no, Moses, count to ten? Where was Aaron saying, wait a minute, let's not, let's not lose it, Moses. Let's do what God said to do. Let's pray. Let's Always before Moses fell down on his face and interceded, this time he grabs the, the rod and begins to strike the rock. The rock was Jesus. So Aaron's in trouble too. Miriam dies, Aaron dies, and Moses dies. All three in the same year. Please, my Lord, do not hold against us the sin we have foolishly committed. Miriam is not saying a word. She's holding her position. I'm right. But Aaron, he's seen the glory of God up close and personal. He's already lost two sons who brought strange fire. They, they were executed by God. Please, my Lord, do not hold against us the sin we've so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like a stillborn infant coming out from its mother's womb with its flesh half eaten away, or literally in the Hebrew. Don't let her be a pile of dead bones and rotting flesh. And Moses, instead of saying, you owe me an apology, Miriam, Instead of saying, Miriam, you deserve this, he cries out to the Lord, oh God, please heal her. He takes no personal affront to their wicked attack against him. If you have been spoken against by someone else, be a Moses and hold no grudge, but pray for that person. The Lord replies to Moses. Now, isn't it interesting? The Lord is burning with anger, and he's left them. But as soon as Moses prays, God's right back there. I like that. And Moses gets this answer from God. If her father had spit in her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? In other words, God's just going to spit in Miriam's face. That is the ultimate sign in this culture of total disapproval. 
and she's not going to get away with what she's done. Confine her outside the camp for seven days. In other words, put her in jail. Put her in a stockade out in the desert for seven days. And the whole place is going to wait on her. Everybody know. I mean, did this happen when you were kids? Yes. Raymond is in his room. <laughs> and we are not going to begin eating supper. It was supper in my house. We're not going to begin eating supper until Raymond has had his punishment. And so the whole family sits around the table with my big brothers grumbling about Raymond. Won't he ever grow up? Dad, why don't you just go whip him? We want to eat. Why don't you just go get him? Oh, I could hear this from my bedroom. I mean, great brotherly loyalty. And now here are all the children of Israel, a million people. They can't move until Miriam gets released from time out. So Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on until she was brought back. Have you made God mad? Have you been walking before him thinking you could say whatever you wanted to say about anybody you wanted to say it about? I want to read one more passage of scripture quickly before I close. It's found in the book of James. James, the third chapter. Begin with verse 6. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body, it corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. So here's Miriam, leprous before God, a face filled with shame, and the one she's talking against he has to cover his face with a veil because his face is so filled with the glory of God. Do you find something wrong with that picture? The one whose face is filled with shame, speaking against the one whose face is filled with glory. This tongue makes God very angry when it's used as a weapon against a brother or a sister when it's used as a weapon to establish my territory, when it's used as a weapon to cut somebody down because they've offended me, when this tongue is used to express my animosity and my judgment, makes God mad, and he leaves us. And Pastor James is saying, it corrupts the whole person and sets the whole course of his life on fire. Did you know your whole life can be set on fire by what you speak with your tongue? Verse 9, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father. With our tongue we sing songs of praise and worship. But then with it we curse men who are made in God's likeness. 
out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? I know where gossip comes from. It springs from a heart that is bitter and angry. It springs from a heart that is judgmental. It springs from a heart that is self-righteous. It springs from a heart that is feeling like they're not important and they have to establish their territory and make somebody think they're important. Can fresh water and salt water come from the same heart? The only way we can be safe one with another and the only way new people can be safe who come into this fellowship is when there is zero tolerance for gossip. When we are not willing to tell tales on one another. When we know things about one another in the spirit or because we've been around one another so long, but we never would uncover a brother or a sister and tell something that would cut their hearts. My story is my story to tell, and your story is your story to tell. Don't be telling my story, and I'll not be telling your story. It makes God mad. Verse 14, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. That's the secret. Gossip comes from bitter envy and selfish ambition. All of that has to be laid down. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure and then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. What is the harvest that you're gathering in your life? I pray tonight the harvest of your life is righteousness and not discord and gossip, not bitterness and ambition but peace and joy and love, mercy and compassion. I know that if I make God mad with me, he'll leave me. I know because I've made God mad with me and he's left me. And I know when Jesus was separated from his parents, it took them a week of struggle to find Jesus and get reunited with him. When Jesus leaves, you don't just snap your fingers and he comes back. He's not a dog. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And when he leaves, it takes repentance. It takes humbling our hearts. It takes restitution. Do you know what the old covenant says about restitution? Add a fifth to make restitution. Don't just pay back what was taken. Add a fifth to it. 
So if you need to make restitution for something you've said, don't just say, I'm sorry. Give that person a gift and say, I'm adding a fifth to it. I mean, didn't this happen when you were kids? You got in a fight with your brother or your sister, and mom or dad said, say you're sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, run along. Till the next time. I mean, saying I'm sorry was a way to get out of jail quick. No, mean it. Do a full confession. A full restitution. Get right with God. Get right with your brother and sister. Don't walk before him, causing him to flee from you because of what you're saying with your mouth. Mighty God, please don't leave. Please don't leave your people. Lord, if you leave us, how will anyone know the difference between us and anybody else? Lord, then we'll just be a social club. And then we've got to have a dog and pony show. Then we've got to have entertainment. Lord, then we've got to have everything the world has because nobody will come if you're not there. Lord, don't leave us. Don't leave me. I hear the sound of your walking toward me, Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen. i
You cannot live wrong and die right. We cannot continue to sin and believe we are saved. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley. Listen Monday through Friday to Pilgrim's Progress at 1 p.m. at WAVA 780. The gospel is that Jesus, by his blood, will forgive your sin and set you free of all sin right now. RevivalNow.Church Revival in Woodbridge RevivalNow.Church Revival in Woodbridge RevivalNow.Church Now unto Him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory